Hello and welcome to Propnex, the property podcast about all things related to the future of real estate. I'm delighted that you've joined me today. My name is Gavin Morgan, your host. If you'd like to know a little bit more about me, please check out www.propnex.com. That's P-R-O-P-N-X.com. Or drop me a line if you'd like to chat privately on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com. Peter Rolston, welcome onto today's podcast. Just before you jump in with your dulcet tones, which I know you will be super keen to do, a quick uh, introduction from me. Uh, So just to today's listeners, Peter and I have known one another for almost 15 years. Feels like a lot longer. Um, (laughs) uh, Peter has held many roles uh, in media and in public life, uh, including uh, having been a news anchor, I believe, Peter, in many different jurisdictions. Um, And obviously, been a huge amount of help to myself and others as a professional coach, um, certainly during my time with Hong Kong. Peter, welcome on the show. Thank you very much, Gavin. Lovely, lovely to to speak to you. Um, do people know actually where you are? Is that is that significant at this juncture? Well, Peter, I hadn't actually uh, unleashed the fact that we're now on the series two of the podcast. This being the first one from the UK and our delightful Northern Ireland. So, no, I'm sitting here right now and uh, and, and loving being here. Okay, so you've you've really returned to the scene of the crime because born, raised, educated first job in Northern Ireland. What, what was it like? What was the Northern Ireland experience like for the young Gavin Morgan? You know, I had a great time here. Um, I mean, much publicized troubles and, you know, just a place that a lot of people wouldn't visit when I was a younger man. Uh, but great people, uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, just so many great things to do here. Tremendous education system. Uh, of course, from time to time, it does spit out someone like me that discredits it, but uh, just tremendous education system. And, you know, what a lot of people talk about university life, I mean, I, I just had such a good time here you know, living at home, interestingly, but, um, you know, fairly unrestricted and you know, able to do what I wanted to do. And uh, really, just I don't think I could have had it better. I, I've often thought of my life whether I'd have had a much better experience anywhere else. And I really don't think that I could have. So it's a bit unfortunate Kenneth Branagh got in with his movie first then. Well, indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, this there could have been a time when this was the, uh, the prequel. <laughs> so, uh, listen, um, all going well, you know, uh, first job in Northern Ireland. W- were you dreaming of, you know, breaking loose? Were you dreaming of going abroad? What, what, what was it that made you take this, this radical step in what, early what, 2001? Yeah. To, to leave and come to Asia? <laughs> well, good question. And, you know, really, I suppose I started working for a gentleman called Guy Hollis um, when I joined CBRE here, who'd had a big uh, stint uh, in the Orient and, you know, on our various different travels around and about the country here, we talked about it and my interest grew. And and then as things like this happen, I suppose he um, he ended up taking a role back out in Asia. And... I 
shortly thereafter went and had a look around. I uh, flew out to Singapore and Hong Kong and, you know, was fortunate enough to be offered a job in both places and the, the rest is history. Uh, yeah, talking about history, I mean, you arrived in 2001, that was just before SARS, I suppose, wasn't it? So you had SARS, financial crises, COVID. Um, I mean, wh- when you arrived in Hong Kong, what, what was the state of the market? I mean, was it, was it, you know, sink or swim, you had to learn a lot to catch up? Or were you, as you said, you'd received a very good grounding uh, in your early career? Were you, were you up for it? Yeah, you know, an interesting time back then too uh, for Hong Kong. Uh, when I arrived, they um, well, it was it was peaking a little bit. Uh, uh, not that I not that I like to call markets down by when I turn up, but it, it had just really hit the peak of the dot com boom back in two thousand two thousand and one, and really pretty soon after I arrived, uh, the market sort of hit the skids quite badly. Uh, and you know it was a tough, tough couple of years in terms of owners trying to fill space, sort of really limited capital markets activity, and and then of course, as you said quite rightly, then 20, you know two thousand and three, which is I think when Hong Kong had SARS, which was, I mean, who would have known eh? uh, a you know a dry run for the horrors that we've had with COVID. Uh, over past years, but um, I mean, it was a slow start in Hong Kong around all of that stuff. But sort of once we got through stars, stars it started to pick up, and uh, you know, it was a um, yeah, it's been just an amazing experience, you know, living in that great city. Yeah, I mean, I, one doesn't want to be too ruminative, but and, and ask the obvious question because it's a tough one, you know, because Hong Kong squeezes so much into such a short time, but. I mean, if you had to put a, a finger on the biggest change that you saw in in the sector over that time span of what nigh on twenty years, what would it be? Well, that's a great question. Um, but the biggest change in the sector has really been the development of the new districts in Hong Kong. When I arrived, it was really tightly clustered around Central Tsim Sha Tsui. A uh, little little bit of Hong Kong East, but certainly very much a back office location back then and you know just how the city has flourished and grown i mean you've got you know a legitimate cbd now in hong kong east with one of the most i think one of the nicest clusters of commercial real estate in the city down there a well-established Kowloon east which is you know probably become more of a you know not, not back office but certainly a secondary office location for people in central uh you've got west Kowloon and all of that infrastructure i mean what a place that's going to be in the future when uh, the uh, West Kowloon, the new development site is built, and you've got that drive to the airport, the Macau Bridge, the high-speed train to Shenzhen. So, yeah. uh, and Peter, as you said, a, a place that squeezes so much into such a short space of time, it happens at public sector level too. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that in the relatively the 18 years that I spent out there that the city could have morphed uh, any other city could have morphed to that extent and um, you know, create the platform that exists there today. What about the, the, sort of the feeling of, of the, the tone of the city, the sort of self-confidence, the swagger that Hong Kong had in the past? Have you, you noticed that sort of ebb away and we've become more you know, China-focused or more inward-looking or whatever the term is? We've lost, Hong Kong has lost a bit of hunger? I wouldn't say it's lost any of its hunger. Uh, I mean, I think uh, one of the great things for me about Hong Kong has been the way it bounces back from almost anything. And of course, uh, it's going through a little phase at the moment where there are a lot of people that are concerned. 
Uh, but I think it'll be back as strong, if not stronger than ever, once the issues related to COVID are past the city. Um, I have no doubt about that. Uh, so hunger, no change there. I mean, I think the hunger will be as strong as ever. Social dynamic, I think, has changed quite a bit as the city is developing and changing and becoming you know, more a uh, part of China. Um, yeah. Will it still be a great place for international business to be in the Asia-Pacific region? I truly believe that it will. Uh, I also think it probably remains the best spot to be for international business in the region. But you're seeing a lot changing on the social dynamics side of the city. And, you know, that'll uh, that'll make it feel, you know, feel different as it moves forward. You know, not, not necessarily bad, but certainly different. Yeah, I mean, you talk about social dynamics in the city and, and you know, Hong Kong is a, it's a prosperous place. But it, there is a, a marked divergence between the, the haves and have-nots. I mean, to what extent do you, do you think that, you know, property has now become inaccessible for most people in Hong Kong to, to purchase. How, how do you feel about that and the responsibility maybe developers have for you know, easing that pain? Yeah, so look, Peter, thanks for asking that. And, you know, as a property person, um, uh, you know, I've always felt that more could be done uh, for people in need. Uh, I think in all big cities, but particularly in Hong Kong, if you look around the world today, there are a lot of big cities. Uh, you know, certainly they're on the face of it when you drive around them, they look to be in strife. Uh, around these issues and that that just doesn't sit well with me it doesn't feel right uh the new government coming in in the beginning of july appear to have the bit between their teeth in terms of public sector housing provision that uh, that there is a lot of developable brown land or brownfield yeah. land in hong kong and um you know, there, there is a, a huge opportunity to activate schemes that could really start to start to ease uh, some of the challenges uh, that exist around public sector housing. I do think that if you look at the, the model in places like the UK, where when private land is developed, there's a requirement, um, certainly for residential, for public sector housing to be components of large schemes. Uh, I'm not saying that 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 is you know that specific model is what should happen in Hong Kong, but I do think that the public sector and private sector need to be together in that way on projects moving forward as well to alleviate the challenges that Hong Kong's public sector you know the public sector housing challenges a lot faster. So I think the government can do a lot quickly with available developable land. But it would be good to see other initiatives, particularly public-private sector partnership, to at least turbo boost uh, what could be done directly by the government. Yeah, you, you've always spoken out uh, in favour of, of technology and the adoption of new, you know, new technology and that sort of stuff. To what extent do, are there massive disruptors now coming into your sector? Things that fundamentally throw into question, I suppose, the existence of organisations like. You know, JLL, CBRE, and the rest. Well, um, you know, it's it's coming, and as you know, JLL is a big investor in tech, and it's now one of the six major revenue lines of the organization globally. Um, but tech is, I think, particularly having leaned in and looked a lot more closely at tech in the last five years uh, from a real estate perspective, uh, particularly looking at its impact on the real estate services industry. 
industry. Uh, there's no question it's going to fundamentally change all parts of the services industry. Um, I just don't think that it's going to happen quite as quickly as a lot of people think that it will. Uh, the developing the technologies, uh, the technology, technologies exist. Um, I've had a lot of fun working on a number of projects around this, uh, but developing the technologies to make sure that they do um, accurately and without error, um, what needs to be done to replace, for example, real estate transactions or not to replace, but to automate real estate transactions, to drive further automation into things like property management so that scale and efficiency are easier to achieve. Um, that 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 is the technologies are being developed at the moment around that and many many other areas. But fine tuning and and user and market adoption will take time. So, I mean, I think we'll gently continue to see over the next ten years more and more tech starting to automate and replicate, driving speed and efficiency and scale into all parts of the service sector industry, um, but not in the finger snap that I think a lot of people got excited about, you know, whenever the industry really started talk, really started talking about all this stuff, say, around five years ago. Yeah. Has, has, uh, we've touched on COVID. I don't want to do it to death here, but has that, uh, you know, um, accelerated thinking in, the, in these sort of areas? I mean, are we going to be able to, to face the existential questions about how people work from now on and how we live from now on? Or... Is Hong Kong basically just going to go, you know, we've paid for the real estate, we're going to go back and work in it? Uh, I think, uh, it's an, it's a, look, it's a really interesting question. Hong Kong will be a little different to the rest of the world just because it is, you know, because of the way it's built. I mean, Hong Kong is tr the only city in the world that is truly a vertical city. Almost yeah. everything that exists in the city, um, in real estate in the city, happens up through the building as opposed to sprawling or spread across the landscape. It's hard to find another city in the world where there isn't at least a mix of spread and sprawl and up through the building. So, so Hong Kong needs. Uh, Hong Kong also lives very differently to the rest of the world as well. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about housing and shortages, and un, un, hugely unfortunately, that drives multiple layers of family into very small apartments together. So. The driver to go back to the office, I think, is a lot higher in a city like that, uh, and that is the case in Hong Kong. Um, and it might be in, you know, some say somewhere like Sydney, where most people are living in a in a fine uh, piece of accommodation, you know, in the suburbs, you know, where they have, you know, out in the suburbs, big garden, lovely view, et cetera, et cetera. So you can understand a reluctance to rush back to the office from an environment like that if you have a good work setup. Uh, but it's different in Hong Kong, and and Hong Kong will lead the world back to the office for those reasons, uh, in my view. And and there have been a lot of little technologies that you've seen implemented over the last couple of years to help with that. I mean, uh, you, you know, the buildings that you work in, um, Peter, you don't now don't have to touch lift buttons um, uh, anywhere. Well, indeed, it's uh, it seems like a vulgar concept now if you look back <laughs> three years ago. But you know, no touch lift buttons. The, all of the automated cleaning that we see all around and about uh, uh, grade A real estate, um, and of course the um, you know e e even though some of them are quite basic, but automated um, technology to enable you to wash your hands or you know social distance, etc. As well, so. Yeah, Hong Kong definitely gets back first uh, and is in full swing, I think, probably sometime later this year in terms of the office being right back to work. And, um, 
yeah, we'll continue to see little technologies and uh, being uh, being put in place to help make that happen. So just to fold it back round again, and I'm not going to use the old cliche, you know, if you met Gavin Morgan in 1998, what would you say to him? But, you know, if you were advising young professionals in Northern Ireland, and there are many of them, well-educated, pretty positive youngsters, what would you say about the opportunities that Asia has for them? Well, I think they're huge and... You know, Asia is, you know, I don't know, particularly parts of Asia are some way through the equivalent of their industrial revolution. And it's interesting if you talk to a lot of people who have been around places like Hong Kong and say, well, certainly Hong Kong and China for a long period of time. I mean, they'll talk about it as mature or maturing and seasoned, and but but it's it's maturing. Uh, and it's growing, but it's 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 maybe midway. Even in Hong Kong, it's it's on a journey. Um, it's definitely not at the destination yet. Um, so I think um, how you want to educate yourself and prep to be successful in that market differs greatly from the eighties. I mean, I think particularly looking at it from an expatriate perspective, which of course I am. You know, you just you could get off the plane in the eighties, and you know, relatively easy to get a role. And if you applied yourself and you were a reasonably intelligent person, you know, it it was it was going to happen for you. Um, I think you need language skills now. I think language skills are a prerequisite for success for sort of younger professionals in that market. Uh, I also think you need tech skills. I mean, coming to Asia, I mean, particularly as an expatriate, but I think anyone succeeding in Asia, particularly Hong Kong and China, uh, tech and language skills will be more than an advantage. I mean, they're, I think, a part of a great long career in that region. Um, but in terms of the market and how it's going to support a career, I mean, there's no, but if you're an individual that wants to get ahead and get ahead quickly and successfully, there's no better place in the world to do it. You talked about journeys, you talked about destinations. You know, your continuing journey is now taking you to the US. What what are your plans then for, you know, Gavin Morgan 2.0? Wow, if only it's it's at this cold morning in Northern Ireland, Peter, it feels like it feels like Gavin Morgan about (laughs) (laughs) 6.0. But, uh, well, I'm going to, you know, I've just had such a good time in the Asia Pacific region. And I mean, obviously, I've worked in New York for a couple of years before, I've worked in London too recently as well. So I think that experience will be enormously helpful to me as I decide uh, on where I'll settle and what I'll settle with uh, in the in the US. So, I mean, I think right now, um, you know, I'm just looking, uh, really just settling down here, but we'll make sure that I do something that leverages the connections base that I have uh, and the experience that I've gained in management leadership. And of course, in transactions uh, through, you know, all that time that I've previously spent in New York, London, and Hong Kong. So, you know, let's see what's ahead. Uh, but I, I want to make sure that it's something that leverages all of you know what I've put together in my in my past. You left Belfast out of that. New York, London, Hong Kong, Belfast. Uh, my, Peter, my profound apologies. How could I? I mean, I just felt that uh, as I'm sitting here at the moment, that it went without saying that it was, yeah, a, it was, a, <laughs> it was a. Well, <laughs> look, any a final question for you know any Northern Irish uh, people listening? Uh, property picks. Where 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 should we be buying in? Uh, you know. At the, the the six counties, 
Oh, I think it's, um, well, you know, depending on how the protocol discussions turn out. Uh, <laughs> uh, work, no, no, let's keep it brief. Well, I mean, we will, but I tell you, the uh, Peter Eddyware, if that all goes well, um, yeah. because it still has, uh, it's interesting, I spent a couple of days in a hotel here when I arrived before I moved into the little house that I've got, and uh, I was blown away by the amount of golf tourism there. Just I was down in a hotel in the city centre, and it was packed with people up here playing golf, and and as we both know, it's not just a golf tourism place. I mean, it's it's a really pretty, beautiful place to come as a tourist. Yeah. Uh, so th- it has a lot to offer, uh, and that will have a, that'll all of it. You know, when when people start coming back in their droves, and um, it will have an impact. But I mean, Peter Northern Ireland's one of those, pla- you know, very very set in the locations that you know South Belfast, Hollywood from a residential point of view, city centre from a commercial point of view, and then of course, you know, there are lots and lots of opportunities in it is suburban towns uh, all around Northern Ireland but it's just uh, I think almost more than anywhere else it's just careful pick the right locations here um it is a society that is you know very observant um of what is what is where to use a Northern Irelandism for you um so I think sticking with tried and tested locations um I mean obviously I've mentioned a few in and around Belfast um, and investing there will stand, uh, you know, will, will stand, stand its ground as a strategy for a long term to come in a market like this. That's cool. Well, look, Gavin, um, that's about it. I wish you all the best from, you know, this is an outside broadcast of your, you know, podcast. Well, thank uh, you. Thank you for flipping the mic on me, Peter. And um, uh, I, I, I can't wait to uh, see how it all works out. So, Peter Rolston, thank you very much for, for being on the show today. It's a pleasure, Gary. Thanks. See you soon. So, that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank you very much for tuning in to listen today and hope to welcome you back to hear some of our future shows. As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, look at www.propnex.com. That's P R O P N X.com. Or drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G A V I N R M O R G A N at propnex.com. I hope to hear from you soon. And thank you very much again for tuning in today. All the very best.